Open your Bible, please, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Love Father's Day, probably because I had such a good dad. I learned so much from him. Even when I was young, I knew he was a wise man. And I picked up an awful lot towards the end of his life. My dad used to say, it's tough. It's tough getting old. And I thought, well, get over it. Suck it up, big boy. You're a brilliant man, smart man. Suck it up a little bit. And, but he'd say that quite often. He'd say, it's tough getting old. Now, when he said that, he did not mean that he didn't enjoy his marriage. It didn't mean that he didn't enjoy working. It didn't mean that he didn't enjoy eating, that's for sure. It just simply meant that his body was breaking down, that his body was hurting a lot, that his body was requiring more attention and more money. He wasn't near, his body wasn't nearly as dependable as it once used to be. As, as the Apostle Paul said, this tabernacle is dissolving. Now, you young people, I've been where you were. And I looked at old people that would talk like that, and I'd say, suck it up, big boy. Now I'm one of those old people. And so I'll take it. Go ahead and tease me all you want, because when I'm in heaven, I'm going to be chuckling in about 30 years. When you say, it's tough getting old, hallelujah. Boy, I mean, we brag about everything as we get older that technology is given. I, I heard a man, he, he was bragging about his new uh, earpiece, his, his new hearing aid. And uh, he was telling his neighbor, he said, man, I got a new hearing aid. I can hear everything, man. It's state of the art. Cost me nearly 10 grand, but it's worth every penny. His neighbor said, really? What kind is it? He said, oh, it's about 1230. Well, there are three things on this planet that are not going to deteriorate and die. Souls, the Bible, and the New Testament church. If you're going to invest your life into something, it needs to be in souls, the Bible, and the New Testament church. And that's exactly what we've been considering the last several Sundays. I said two weeks ago, I love this church. I said last Sunday, I still love this church. And that's after being with you people for two whole weeks. Now I've been here for three weeks and I'm going to convince you from Scripture why I will always love this church. And when I say this church, I'm talking about any New Testament church. A church where Jesus Christ is Lord. Whoo! It's a good thing to be a part of that local assembly. Now, for the folks that have studied the Bible for any time at all, you're, you're familiar with Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to isolate one verse of Scripture. Don't let that throw you for a loop that I'm going to lift it out of its context. No, no, I wouldn't do that. But I'm going to magnify this verse and make application to this wonderful church this morning. 
Look in Matthew 16, verse 18, and I say unto thee, let's clear the field. This is Jesus speaking to Peter. Do you remember that occasion? And, G- and Peter came to him and said, Lord, you don't understand. People are calling you all kinds of things. And Jesus finally said, well, who do you think that I am? Some call me John the Baptist. Some call me Elijah. Some call me some great prophet. But who do you think that I am? Do you remember what Peter said? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commended him for that confession of faith. He said, man didn't tell you that. God revealed that to you. And so now we pick up in verse 18. I, Jesus, I say also unto thee, thou art Peter. I know I'm supposed to read it, but I can't help it. I got to, the word Peter means little stone, a pebble. And now, and he's going to say, thou art Peter. Do you think Peter forgot his name? Well, why in the world would Jesus confront him with his name? He's reminding him of who he is. Now, we in church, we've been taught our whole life, Peter was probably seven foot 12, weighed 495 pounds, nothing but sheer muscle, a strong old fisherman. There's nothing in the Bible that would even indicate that. In fact, there would be more that would indicate that he was a short little guy. He was a runt. And that's why he was always exerting himself. Any guy in here that's short, he understands that. I mean, your brothers have been picking on you your entire life. When you're pushed around and kicked around and made fun of, you've got to exert yourself if you're going to make it. You know what I'm talking about? And Peter, he was notorious for that. Every time something, he just, I can do it. Why? Because nobody was expecting him to. And God reminded him who he was. Hey, Peter, you're just a little stone, but you said something really big. This is beyond you. You didn't come up with this. God revealed it to you. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not Peter, there are people under the umbrella of Christianity today that think that Jesus built his church on Peter, that little runt, the guy that spoke before he thought. That would be a pretty weak foundation. But Peter's confession was bigger than who he was recognizing that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And can I remind you today, if you ever intend to go to heaven, it'll be the day that you recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And you humble yourself before Him and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. I don't care if you are six foot nine, seven foot five, you're never big enough to make it to heaven on your own. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter himself wrote two books in the New Testament. Peter himself said, Jesus is the rock. 
He's the chief cornerstone upon which the church was built. Peter never even claimed or even thought that he would be the foundation of the church. Listen, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now notice the next phrase. This, this gets me fired up. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you know what he's saying? Church, hell can't stop us. Well, let's think of how powerful hell is. Well, let's just start with this basic truth. Hell is real. You say, I don't believe in hell. You will when you're there. Well, you can't prove it to me. You can't prove it not to me. And if I'm going to believe someone, I'd rather believe God than you. Are you with me? I'm not being mean and I'm not being condescending. I, I might get a little passionate because I get tired of people lying about God. Now, if you don't agree with God, that's fine. It's a free country still. You can choose who you want to believe. But don't say hell isn't real when God says it is real. And it's a hot place, a place of torture, a place of loneliness and isolation, a place where people fall for all eternity, a place where you will suffer, a place where you will wish that you could just get a, a, a drink, a sip, a touch of water on your tongue. It's not a pleasant place. When a man says, I want to go to hell with all my buddies, he's jesting, he's joking. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Because nobody in their right mind would want to go there. We don't want to even go in certain neighborhoods. Let alone hell. Hell is a real place. And could I just pause for a moment? There may be a man or a woman, boy or girl today, honoring your mom and dad. Maybe you're a dad here today and you don't have confidence of your eternal destiny. You don't know that if you were to die tonight that you would go to heaven. God loves you. And he wants to save you right here, right now. You say, whoa, I would, I'm not prepared for that. I didn't come to church for that. I just came, I just came to, because it's Father's Day. I just came because I was invited. I just, I just came because I'm a member. And if God's speaking to you, you ought to thank God that he's got your attention. I'm not that great of a speaker to captivate your attention, to reach into your soul like that. Only God can do that. And if he is speaking to you right now about your eternal destiny, you ought to say, what must I do to be saved? Because every man in this room, including the man that's doing the preaching this morning, one day sat where you sat, lost and undone, Amen. uncertain of my eternal destiny, concerned about dying in my sin, scared about being cast into a lake of fire. But then I heard that Jesus loved me and died for my sin and was buried and supernaturally, miraculously resurrected from the grave. He's alive today. You say you believe that? Absolutely. 
He's the author of life. He's the creator of life. No man took his life. He laid it down. But he took it back. Why? He died for a purpose, to die for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world. Why? He loves us. When a man says God, if he were a God of love, wouldn't send anyone to hell, doesn't even think himself for a moment. If God is a God of love, he wouldn't make anyone go to heaven. Love allows an individual a free choice. He doesn't invade you. He invites you. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, wow, what a great day to be saved. Think of it. To come into church on Father's Day and leave knowing the Heavenly Father as your Father. Oh, if you're not saved, even now, just ask Jesus Christ to save you, to come into your life and then unashamedly confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. He will save you. And the gates of hell that's a powerful place, shall not prevail against the church. Can I remind this congregation of people that love God that the only thing that will hold this church back is this church. Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. But we also learn that this church is going to last through all eternity. And so I can say boldly to you today, I will always love this church. A church that remains faithful to the Lord is a church that is good for us to be a part of. A couple of weeks ago, we looked in scripture and we saw that the church is important because it helps us to have a happy life through obedience to God. We saw that the church helps me center my life around God in true worship. We saw last week that the church helps me to connect to God's kids through fellowship and, and helps me to grow to maturity in discipleship. And today, I want to give you two more thoughts and then we'll go home and have Father's Day lunch. Hallelujah. Which includes, I hope, a big bowl of ice cream. Hallelujah. Let's pray and ask God to bless his word. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach your word. But if all I do is educate or entertain, it won't have any eternal significance. It's not by might nor by power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord. So, Father, we, we beg that your Holy Spirit would work amongst us today. Revive the saints of God and redeem those that need to be saved. We know that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I pray for that man or woman here today, though we would say they're nice people, they would likely admit that they're a sinner and they're not ready to stand before a holy God. I pray that today, Father's Day, they would become a child of the Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let me give you two more good reasons why it's good to belong to a New Testament church. First of all, we need a church family to prepare us to give something back through ministry. I'm using the verbiage and the cliches of our generation. We want to give something back. We don't want to just be takers. We're not leeches. This is called ministry. The word minister just means servant. Ministry means service. And God saved us so that we would, in turn, serve others. And many people in our churches feel that ministry is just for pastors. But that's not true. Ministry is something everybody in God's family is called to do. It just means you're using your gifts and abilities to help other people like Jesus did. You say, that's work. Yep, it is. And depending who you're serving, it could be a lot of work. Some of you wives know that right now. It's Father's Day and you're working at being a good wife today. Just think, tomorrow you can get back to your normal selves. Hallelujah. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Let's see what the good book says. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. This is so imperative that you catch this morning. For God is not unrighteous. Hebrews chapter 6. We're looking toward the back of the book. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God keeps the records, folks. He remembers things you did 30 years ago for his name's sake. I have long forgotten, but God doesn't forget. A few weeks ago, we were back home in Chicago and we went to our church picnic. It was Memorial Day and we went to the picnic just so that we could be with our people. And uh, of course, our church has a new pastor and, uh, and a far better preacher than this preacher. But when I go back, you know, I love everybody. That's the church that I spent 40, nearly 50 years in as a member, 43 of them as, as a pastor on staff there. And, and so I have a lot of a, a connection and a lot of relationships with those folks. And when I went to the picnic, we sat down. I try not to hog the show. I kind of, I'm respectful of my pastor of the church. And I sat down and one person came up, hi, pastor. And another person came up and talked to Lori. And, and next thing you know, I'm sitting there thinking, hey, I'm pastor emeritus. Why aren't you doting on me? Why aren't you recognizing my greatness and all my accomplishments and all the work and sacrifices that I made for decades at this church? Hey, I'm right here. And all of a sudden, I got this surreal feeling like George Bailey. Now, if you've never watched It's a Wonderful Life, I'm not necessarily recommending it. But the old timers in this room and maybe some of the young people at Christmas time, I don't know why, because the whole movie is yelling and screaming through. But it's called It's a Wonderful Life. 
And George Bailey felt like he was wasting his life. Do you remember that? And supposedly committed suicide. And good old Clarence shows up, an angel of God, and, and takes him through to show him what life would have been. Had. Otherwise, he was showing him how valuable his life was. And there I was for a moment feeling slighted. And all of a sudden, a warm feeling came over me. My pastor walked by me three times and didn't say hello. People that I had led to Christ walked right by us. And here I was, out-of-body experience, feeling almost invisible. It was like God saying, it was worth the investment. Look at these people. There were young families people that had just gotten saved. They were so happy to be together. And I got to witness it, to see that everything that we poured into those people, pointing them to Jesus, is now coming to fruition. And after I'm gone and off the scene, I'm off the scene now, but I'm not anxious on the gone part. Now that I'm off the scene, I got to witness that the church is just as happy, just as vibrant, just as soul conscious, just as loving as it ever was, and maybe even more so. There is a great joy knowing that you invested your life in something that will outlive you. God didn't put you on this earth for you to sit around and snap your fingers and everybody serve you. No. He wants us to serve one another. And that's why a church is so important. If you can serve God in a church, you can make it out in the real world. This is a training room. We learn how to interact. We learn how to use our gifts. We learn how to think. We learn how to bring the best out of one another. Anytime you use your talents and your gifts and your abilities and your money and your time, your intelligence, your energy, your physical skill, your opportunities, anytime you use anything that God has given you to help somebody else, it's called ministry. There are people here working yesterday. We've had the privilege of seeing people working throughout the week while we're here. That's called ministry. How many of you are involved in ministry here? Would you raise your hand? You're involved in singing in the choir or cleaning. How many are involved with children's ministries? That's awesome. Now, that's the vast majority. What's wrong with the rest of you? Let's get with it, hallelujah. I remember when I had open heart surgery, when I was 49 years old, I don't commend people from the pulpit very often, probably a fault of mine. I just feel like that's what we all do. We're all here to serve Jesus together. And and I'm out there leading the way. I'm not afraid to clean the toilets and push a vacuum and cut grass. And I'm not above, above that stuff. And so when we have volunteers, But after I had heart surgery, they warned me that I was going to be a little more emotional. Oh, my word, that's all I need is more emotions. And and it was getting towards Christmas, and and I'm I'm rereading all the cards that people sent me while I was recovering for surgery, and, and I'm crying. And, you know, when I was younger, my dad said, yeah, when people compliment you, 
uh, just, you know, be nice and say thank you, but don't believe it. 90, it's like soap, 90% of it's lie. And so there, <laughs> so people wrote me notes over the years and, and I would read them and throw them away. And I wished I had some of those for the days that I get discouraged. I'd go back and read them, but Man, I was reading those cards when I was in the hospital, and, and I was reading them, and they were telling me how wonderful and how much they're praying for me, and I'm crying, and then I started reading what Hallmark said about me, and I, I, I believe that too. I mean, I, my heart was touched, and I thought, you know, I need, to, I need to reciprocate. I need to show our church how much I appreciate them and love them and all the work that's done around the church, and I seldom ever mention anybody's name from the pulpit and publicly commend them, and I sure don't reward them in any way, shape, or form. And, and so I thought, I, I, I emailed the secretary. I said, could you send me a list of all the people in our church that are involved in ministry from the age 16 and up? And so she sent me a list of 363 people. 363 people. We only averaged 476 that's 113 that weren't involved. So I started writing notes, and, and I was going to put a $10 gift card in each. And then when I got that email, I thought, whoa, that's a lot of $10 gift cards. I'll go broke if I do that. And, uh, and I don't know that I can write that many notes. And finally, God said, don't worry about it, Bruce. It's nice that you got that in your heart, but you don't need to give them a gift. You are their gift. I said, what do you mean I am their gift? Well, I gave you to the church. Haven't you read Ephesians 4? The pastor is a gift to the church. And I gave you to the church. You are their gift. Just be their pastor. And I said, I'm their gift? So I got up that Sunday before Christmas and I said, folks, I was intending to send all of you that are involved in ministry. I understand there's 363 of you involved in ministry and I was going to send you each a, a $10 gift card. And I started writing a few notes and God interrupted me and said, I didn't need to do that. And he said that I am your gift. So Merry Christmas <laughs> and no returns. <laughs> and a pastor is a gift to the church. And I want you to be reminded that your pastor, Brother Ingram, could be in another church just like that. You know why? You've got a good pastor. He's a good preacher and a good pastor. He may not be quite as cool as guest preachers, but you don't need cool. You need a good pastor. And a pastor that knows how to bring it, to preach the word. You are blessed. And not only that, he's got a great wife. And I emphasize that because I know preachers in ministry, God somehow still uses. And it's only by the grace of God. And they're usually good pastors or good preachers. But boy, when you find one man that is a good pastor and a good preacher... You are really blessed. And then to have a great wife in ministry, you don't know how good you have it here. And I would encourage you, 
to follow his example. Get involved in the ministry. You want friends? You want relationships? Get involved in ministry. You say, I don't know what I can do. Ask somebody. Write this word down. Put it in the back of your Bible. Just write this word down. You ready? Write this word down. Don't look at me. You can't write looking at me. Get a pen out. I want you to write this down. Or if you've got to put it on your notepad or an iPhone, whatever it is, just dot down this word. Put down this word. Whatever. Whatever. Now, don't say it like the young people. You need to serve God. Whatever. No. What I mean is, you need to go to your pastor. You need to go to the Lord first and say, God, whatever you want me to do. I think I know what I'm good at. I think I know what I could do. It's not that I'm bragging on myself. You have gifted me. And I want to use my talents and abilities for you. But quite frankly, whatever you want me to do, I'm in. That kind of attitude will take a church from this level to this level. And God wants this church to press on to higher ground. The pastor is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. And God help us to be involved in the ministry. Now the second thought. You need a church family to help you communicate God's love through evangelism. We need a church family to help us communicate God's love through evangelism. I mentioned a Sunday ago, or maybe two, Michael Jordan, we're from Chicago, and all our daughters played basketball in high school. And, um, and I love sports. I don't love them more than God. I wouldn't think of missing church or church activity for sports, regardless if my team is on TV or not. Never a question. But I do enjoy sports a lot. And our girls, since I only had girls, we encouraged them to get involved in sports. And they played basketball. And it was a, a blast. I enjoyed going to the games and, and seeing them play. And then the Michael Jordan era started in Chicago for the Bulls. Up to that point, we weren't real big NBA fans. But, man, it's not, it, it's not difficult to start following a winner. You know what I mean, Jelly Bean? I mean, the, the Bulls are winning. They're tearing everybody up. But what we learned was Michael Jordan had been on the team long before they won the, the championship. They couldn't win because they were playing as individuals. It took a great mind of Phil Jackson to come in and bring out the best of his superstars to see that they'll go further if they will work together. And they became champions, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times. Come on, folks. Those of you that know professional basketball, six national championships. Michael Jordan. But he couldn't have done it alone. In the church, you're going to have a man or a woman that are very tr good at soul winning. And if you're not careful, you'll actually have members in the church resent them. 
Oh, they're just showing off. They get up Wednesday. They get up Sunday and talk about all the people they've witnessed to and how many souls they've won to Christ. Yeah, where are those souls? I don't see them baptized. I don't see them in church. I don't see them sitting by me and having a good attitude like me. <laughs> Folks, you're blessed if you have some Michael Jordans in the room in the area of evangelism. But you're not going to win this county to the Lord until we work together as a team. Does that make sense? Oh, you may not win a hundred souls to Christ, but all of us can win at least one. And before you say, I'm not gifted, no, let's, let's get down to the nitty gritty. You don't want to. For whatever reason, you're scared, you're intimidated, you're shy, you're bashful, you're fearful, just be honest. You can work a whole lot better with one another if you're just honest with each other. And if we get that out and say, hey, listen, I want to be a part of it. I'll go with you, but I don't want to say a word because I'm scared to death. I may not go out with you, but you tell me when you're going soul winning, and I promise I'll be on my knees in my home praying for you that someone will be saved. Do you hear what I'm saying? If we work together as a church family, rather than individuals, we'll do a lot better job evangelizing, sharing others, or sharing with others the good news. You say, the good news. What's the good news? Do you know what most of this generation thinks? That they're an accident. Do you know what most of this generation thinks? When you're dead, you're dead. You only go through life once. Get all the gusto you can get. You know what most of this generation thinks? There's no purpose for my life. You know what this generation thinks? I probably will go to hell, so I'll just pretend like it doesn't exist. Can I tell you something today? I got good news. You got good news if you're saved. You're not an accident. You were made to last forever. God has a purpose for your life. You don't have to go to hell. No matter what, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've messed up your life, Jesus Christ died for all your sins, not just in the past, for those yet in the future. His death is total payment for all our sin. You don't have to go to hell. He loves you. Amen. Folks, that's good news. And we as a body need to work together to share that good news to everybody. Think of that person that you know that's not going to heaven. Do you know of any? None of us know for sure. None of us are God. We can't see in somebody's heart. But as Jesus said, by their fruit he shall know them. Do you know of anyone that you would question their eternal destiny? That if they were to die right now, they would likely be in the regions of the damned? 
You're not lifting yourself above them. You're not condemning them. Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world. It's condemned already. You're just making an observation. Do you know anyone that if they were to die right now, you'd question where they would spend eternity? Do you care? Well, I've already witnessed to them. If they're going to go to hell, is there ever a reason why we should quit trying to rescue them? I'm just asking friendly questions to a good church. We collectively together need the church so that we can more effectively evangelize this county, this town, even this state. And wouldn't it be cool if your church had an impact on our country? Listen, heaven is wonderful. Heaven is worth telling others about Jesus Christ. We're, we're going to be able to rest in heaven. Heaven's going to be a place of pleasure. So we don't need a whole lot of rest and a whole lot of pleasure here. We're going to have plenty of it on the other side. There's two things you're not going to do in heaven. You're not going to sin. You're not going to witness. Now, which of those two things do you think God left you here on this earth to do? Not sin, I can tell you that. But to witness. The Bible says... All things, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all things are of God who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the work of reconciliation. Now, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Everyone, everyone in this room can witness. Back home, and please forgive me for referring to back home. That's the last thing most churches want to hear is a preacher talk about how great their church is when you think yours is so great. And I would agree with you. I think your church is great. I'm not bragging on our church. I'm just sharing how we try to come up with a way to incorporate everybody in our church to be involved in witnessing. Because as a pastor, I understand you've got the elderly that can hardly get out of bed. And I'm not mocking them because I am one of them. The elderly, for them to go door to door is difficult, is it not, Brother Childs? That's right. It is. And we're not making excuses. I have a whole life. I've led nearly a thousand people to Christ myself. I'm not boasting. I'm just sharing with you how God has used me in my life and that I have been faithful in witnessing to others. But I'm going to tell you, as your body ages, this old tabernacle dissolves. Just walking through the auditorium can be a chore. 
And you may laugh and chuckle, and I understand that because I used to laugh and chuckle, but now I've got to be careful with my body because it doesn't do what I want it to do. But if I'm able to walk at all, I'm going to do what I can to still be a part of it. And I may not go out for hours door to door, but if I'm in a store, I'll tell you, I'm going to talk to somebody. We go out to eat. We talk to somebody. We want to leave a gospel witness with somebody. I also know that there's young people in here. I want to tell you, some of our great soul winners are young people. I said last week, I was 10 years old when I led my first soul to Christ. If you're old enough to follow Jesus, you're old enough to win souls. Yes, you are. Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Age, talent, intellect, ability has nothing to do with it. All it requires is Jesus. He'll take, a, he'll take the responsibility to make you into a fisher of men. I'm saying, as a pastor, I understand church people that feel insecure and uneducated and not able to communicate. Preacher, I can't talk like you. Well, be thankful. Because sometimes I say stupid things, so be glad that you don't. And so what we do is we take a record in our Sunday school classes, every Sunday, of how many souls you witness to. From first grade through adult. Because we want our young people to not only realize how important reading their Bible and bringing their Bible to church is, and not that it's just important to pray, but they need to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Amen. That's part of serving Jesus. And so, how do we get everybody involved? you got to witness in one of four ways. And this is just man-made. This is what I made up. This is, I can't give you a chapter. I can give you a chapter and verse that it's in the Bible, but God doesn't say you have four ways to witness. I'm trying to help different levels of spiritual maturity in my church. Does that make sense? Amen. So, number one, we can personally invite someone to church. You say, well, that's not hardly anything until you talk to someone that thinks they're good enough to go to heaven as is. Our area is filled with Roman Catholics. And quite frankly, I love Roman Catholics. They make better Christians than you Baptists raised Baptists. They make better Baptists than you Baptists raised Baptists. Because Roman Catholic, they've been working their whole life to get to heaven they find out that they don't have to work their way to heaven. They can't work their way to heaven. They trust Jesus Christ, get saved. They can actually take the foot off the pedal a little bit, and they're still going to outwork you Baptists that were raised Baptists. Now, that, I was just venting a little bit. I love the Roman Catholic converts in our church. Every now and then i got to help them out because they'll come to the altar and still do one of these and, and call me Father Bruce, but... We, we bring them along. Hallelujah. The first text I got this morning, Happy Father's Day, from a Roman Catholic boy that led to Christ. And, uh, but that's another story. I'm just saying, every one of us can invite someone to church. That's entry-level witness. Every one of us can do that if you want to. Yeah, amen. That's it. Secondly, we can personally give a gospel track to someone. Now, I've got the best tracks in America. Your tracks are okay here, but this is by far 
the best track in America. It has on the front, I must ask you a question. And the reason is so many young people stop me and have a remark about my mustache. And um, finally, one day I said, I got to do something about this. I'm meeting way too many strangers that I'm passing up. The, they're the ones that are approaching me. So we had the track. and I must ask you a question. Of course, you know what the question is. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I take every opportunity I can do that. Lori handed out a church track yesterday to, to a family that we met in the parking lot outside the restaurant. And I volunteered to take their picture. You know, and, and I'm trying, you know, when you're taking somebody's picture and they want a close-up, but they don't realize this is a big family. And so I'm stepping back to get them all in. And we still do it with dignity and, and then give them a gospel track. When you give someone a gospel track and ask them to read it, that is a form of witnessing. Amen. Yes, it is. When you go to the restaurant, you put your tip in a gospel track. Now listen, if you're one of those tightwads and cheap people that don't tip your waitress and waiter very good, you hand out a Catholic track or a, something from the First Presbyterian Church. Don't give anything from this church. You put a good tip in that track, and you say, well, they didn't deserve it. They weren't very good service. You're not giving them a, a tip because of their service. You're investing in their life. We send thousands, hundreds of thousands, yea, millions of dollars to, to send missionaries around the world, and you've got people right around their church that need Jesus. Just budget for witnessing at a restaurant. That's your restaurant ministry. You give them a good 20, 25, 30% tip. And I'll tell you what, when they see that tip in there, they're going to say, whoa, I like that guy. And then you go visit that same restaurant again. They're going to be hustling in the room to come and wait on your table. What are you doing? You're turning over the soil. You're going to give them another gospel track. And another gospel track. And someday, God will use that seed to bring forth fruit. You may not win them the first time. It may take years. But the, every farmer in this room understands that. There's called sowing and reaping. Every one of us can invite someone to church. Are you with me? Every one of us can witness if we want to. Every one of us can hand out a gospel tract. If you're afraid of what people will say, just say, sir, would you read this? Would, would you read this? <laughs> if you're afraid of what he's going to do, just run. <laughs> now he'll do one of two things. He'll say, wow, what was that? Or he's going to drop it and run too. <laughs> you don't need that. We can all hand out a gospel tract. And every gospel track, it doesn't count just to leave it on the table. You need to put it in somebody's hand. Otherwise, it's a personal witness. The man I'm referring this morning that texted me, first thing this morning, thanks for leading me to Christ. The first year that he got saved, he led a dozen people to Jesus Christ. The first year, without a soul winning class, 
without being told to go tell others about Jesus. You know how he did it? He'd go to people and say, can I read something to you that changed my life? And he would read them the gospel track. Now, we don't want to do that because that shows our ignorance, which hurts our pride. But he was so thrilled to be saved and to know the love of God. He couldn't help and wait until he was trained. He just wanted to get it out. That's why I say, if you want to. You can witness by inviting someone to church. You can witness by giving them a track. Fourth, thirdly, you can witness by praying with somebody. Now we're going a little deeper. We encourage our church to have social gatherings in their home, invite their neighbors, have church people and unsaved in there. Pray for them. This is how you do it. Now, before we eat, we're going to ask God to bless the food. Dear God, thank you for our neighbors and our friends. Thank you for our family. Uh, we ask that you would bless the food and, and our guests here. And Father, I, I pray that everyone here knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I'd, I'd hate to think that any of my friends would die and go to hell. So I pray that they know Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now we're ready to eat. I'll tell you, an unsafe person, immediately the Spirit of God will put it in their heart. What do you mean, die and go to hell? Or if you're a positive person, I pray that all my friends, when they die, will go to heaven. You can do that at a, in a hospital, if you make hospital visits. Anytime. You'd be amazed at how many strangers would be glad for you to pray for them. And I, I miss that opportunity a lot. But the times that I do, I'm amazed at how people don't even know me. When I see that they're troubled, I'll say, I know God. Could I pray for you? They don't know who I am. But when people are hurting, they'll take anybody to pray. We miss out on those opportunities. Then the fourth way to witness is to personally share the gospel. Could I be real specific? Share how you got saved. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. I asked my deacons once, why don't you guys win souls? I was young and dumb. I didn't know you shouldn't ask, put them on the spot. But I said, why don't you guys win souls? I mean, if we're emphasizing our church to be soul winners, we ought to be setting the pace. You know, and they stunned, looked at me, and finally one said, I'm afraid I'll blow it. Uh, how are you going to blow it? They're already heading to hell. It's not like there's a hell number two. Well, but that is, that is the thinking of a lot of church people, I'm afraid. Can I assure you that once you start sharing your testimony, God will take over. He told his disciples, don't give a lot of thought to what you're going to say, because I'll put my words in your mouth. And if you go and you blow it, hey, I'm a veteran. I would say I'm a legitimate soul winner. I know how to talk to people about Christ and I've led many to the Lord. 
But there's times that I leave thinking, boy, I blew that. And I may have in, in people's eyes, but not in God's. Because it's not my words, it's his word that's going to do the work. The gospel is the power of God, not my words. It's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. And later on, those people, when they get saved, they'll say, Brother Humbert came and said, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, I didn't say anything like that. It was the gospel. Are you with me? I'm trying to help you, church. This is a good church, but you need to be out there winning souls to Christ. And that's why it's good to be a part of this church. Because this kind of church is going to hear that kind of preaching. And the good thing is, this kind of church, though we may not like to hear it, we know it's true. Everyone in this room, if you're saved, you know I'm speaking the truth. God wants you to be involved in evangelism. I probably have gone too long. I'm only here one more Sunday, if you can bear with me. Next Sunday's my last week here for a while. But I pray that God will use me to challenge you as a church to not drink in all the compliments that you receive as a church because you are a wonderful church. But before long, if you're not careful, that you'll, that's what you'll live for, the commendation of other guests, and you'll level off. You need to press on. There's got to be a church in this area that'll get after it. The gates of hell can't stop you. Amen. Now think. Will you commit this week to do your dead level best to witness to at least one soul? Will you this week commit to trying to get one visitor in church? It's not even a scheduled revival. It's not even a big day. Why can't we have a big day when most churches have summer slums? Why don't we have a summer jump? Do you think God goes on vacation in the summer? Let's go after it. Will you? Will you believe when Jesus said, the gates of hell can't stop you? Go in holy boldness and look for people, people that you know need to be in church, know that they need God, and people you don't even know. Let's go into the highways. That's what he's talking about, the byways. People you don't even know. Yes, we go door to door, house to house. But get out there, people you don't even know. Stretch yourself. Hand out tracts. Run if you're scared of what they're going to do, but hand out tracts. Let's fill this room up next Sunday. Will you join me in that effort? Let's stand to our feet.